Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Peter Schiff. It is Friday, October 31st, 2014. Halloween. And they certainly were giving out a lot of treats on Wall Street today all week. But in the end, people are going to find out that it is one big trick. You know, there's a lot of scary stuff in the world, but nobody seems to be frightened of anything on Wall Street. Unless, of course, you happen to own gold stocks, then you're really scared. That's the only fear that I see in the market is in the gold stocks. The Dow Jones hitting a new record high today, closing at a record high. S&P record high closed. The Nasdaq Not a record high. You know, we still haven't taken out the peak from the dot-com bubble, but we are at the highest close on the NASDAQ since the year 2000. The dollar was strong on the week. The dollar index closed at a four-year high. The Japanese yen at a six-year low. Gold prices also falling to a four-week low, uh, four-year low, rather. Silver prices, four-year low. But gold stocks... Gold stocks, the typical gold stock is at a 10-year low and maybe even a 12-year low or more. In fact, if you look at gold stocks, they're lower than they were, most of them, than when gold was at 400. Yes, gold closed below 1,200. I think it was down about 50 bucks more on the week. Silver was down about a buck and a half, but we're not far below 1,200. Yet gold stocks are lower than they were when gold was below 400. Gold stocks are lower not only than they were before the Fed began QE3, but before it began QE, before anyone even knew what QE was. You know, gold has pretty much, or gold stocks rather, are the only asset class that hasn't gone up as a result of QE1, 2, and 3, right? The Fed has printed this money, and just about every asset in the world has gone up nominally in price, except gold stocks, which you would think is counterintuitive you would think that gold stocks would be the primary beneficiaries of all this money printing. Instead, uh, it's backfired and they've been the biggest losers. Now, they were the biggest winners until recently. Until the last couple of years, gold stocks were the asset class that was responding the most positively to all of the quantitative easing. So what's changed? Why did gold stocks go from being the best performing assets in a QE environment to the worst performing assets. And what changed is the perception that QE has worked. See, early in the QE process, there was a lot of skepticism. A lot of people believed that QE wouldn't work. Now, most of those people are convinced that it did. They've thrown in the towel on doubt. They've accepted the fact that it's worked. And all the people like me who were very critical of the process from its inception, who were warning about the dangers and inflation and a weak dollar, we have theoretically been proven wrong. And so this week, 
the Fed announced the end of its QE program with a lot of fanfare, right? And the markets, instead of dropping, have rallied to new highs, proving, right, that the markets never needed QE at all, that it's never been about QE, that the markets were going up for some other reason, right? And so the Fed no longer needs to do quantitative easing. And the proof is that we just hit a new high, even though the Fed has announced an end of the program. Now, it probably helps, and it's probably not coincidental, right, that the day after the U.S. Federal Reserve announces its ending QE, that the Japanese announced that they're expanding their QE program. Of course, why are they expanding their program? Well, because it didn't work. So now they have to make it bigger. But it's still not going to work. I mean, that is the truth. And the fact that QE hasn't worked in Japan, why do so many people expect that it's going to work here? It's not going to work here. You know, the Japanese are saying we need more QE because we needed more inflation. They're saying that they're worried that the inflation psychology might return. You know, the biggest problem in Japan right now, if you ask most Japanese, their biggest complaint is there's too much inflation, that prices are rising too fast. And now the Japanese government wants to make sure they rise even faster. Of course, that was enough to send the Nikkei surging. I think on last night it was up like 750 points. I think the futures uh, in the U.S. are up another 500 today. So you're talking about 1,200 points on the Nikkei. Basically, in a day, the Japanese yen down almost three percentage points on that day. So in dollar terms, uh, the rise in the Nikkei not nearly as much as it is in yen terms. In fact, year to date in U.S. dollars, the Japanese stock market is still down, despite the fact that it is up in local currency. But more inflation is not going to solve the problems in Japan, and it's not going to solve the problems in the United States. But you have so many people now convinced that the problems have been solved. And, and there, I think that we actually have the biggest disconnect I've ever seen in the financial markets between perception and reality. And, and that's saying a lot, you know, because believe me, there's been a lot of confusion in this market. But I think that, t- that today, the, 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 um, the quantity, the amount of the misconception, the fact that, you know, so many people do not understand, right, the true state of affairs, the true predicament that we're in. I think it's bigger now, right, than it was in 2007, 2008. And of course, I remember that time period quite well. I remember uh, how the mainstream reacted to my warnings. I mean, I remember in particular an interview that I did, I was on the Cudlow show, which is not even on the air anymore, but it was Larry Cudlow's show on CNBC in mid-2007. And Cudlow wasn't there, so I, Bob Pisani, Bob Pisani was guest hosting. And I was on there uh, with Don Luskin. And, you know, Don is all bullish about everything. And I'm talking about subprime, because the subprime crisis kind of just erupted, right? It's all of a sudden it's in the news. There's a problem with subprime mortgages. And I'm trying to explain to the CNBC audience, to Pisani, to, you know, to Luskin, that this is a big problem. Peter, why hasn't it happened? Why hasn't the collapse happened? Why hasn't the skeleton, the subprime skeleton, come fully out of the closet and scared the living daylights well, out remember, of everybody? It, it takes a while. It takes a while for this stuff to filter through. Look at how long 
uh, these hedge funds were able to pretend that these subprime debt securities that they hold uh, actually have value or close to par when they're really practically worthless, if not completely and now worthless. That they're not, and now that they're not pretending anymore, nothing's happened. No, the world hasn't ended. So one of these days, we're just going to have to stop predicting that this same old thing is going to cause yeah, the end of the world. I'm it not never predicting does. And this is within a year, really, of the financial crisis when you know the, the, the financial world basically did come to an end and probably would have ended, at least that's what all the bankers tell us, had it not been from all the bailouts and all the quantitative easing. So we really were on the precipice of the end of the financial world. I was pointing this out to a guy like Don Luskin, and he was completely oblivious, despite the fact that there was ample evidence to understand that. Well, it's even off the charts now, the degree to which people are ignoring the evidence. The idea that we can end quantitative easing and everything is going to be fine, right? Why did we do QE3? Everybody forgets. We did QE3 because QE2 didn't work. Why did we do QE2? Because QE1 didn't work, right? So why did people think that it'll be any different now with QE3? We've ended QE3. We ended QE2, and we ended QE1, right? But we ended QE1. QE2 came back. Right? And we ended QE2 and QE3 came back. Well, I think we're going to resurrect it again. You know, it's not like QE is not like a real person. It's like they're like, you know, zombies from The Walking Dead. Well, you kill them, but then they come back to life or at least some version of it comes back to life. There's no way to keep this thing down. It is going to come back for the same reason that it came back before. But I think the difference now is that when quantitative easing comes back, it's going to be a new ball game. Because I think we're going back into recession. I'm going to get into, you know, we got the GDP numbers that came out for the third quarter. And I don't want to get into all the details. I did that in my podcast, episode 12, which I would encourage you to listen to. You can either you know download it uh, off of uh, Shift Radio or iTunes, or just you can listen to it on this on my video blog at Shift Report. But I went into, in more detail, the ending of quantitative easing and the uh, third quarter GDP. The title of the podcast is um, Greenspan's QE Criticism, Too Little, Too Late. And I get into Greenspan's, you know, finally admitting that QE was a mistake and it didn't work and there's going to be a lot of damage and he's, he's recommending that people buy gold. So I, I get into that in my podcast. But briefly, I want to get back to uh, the GDP. So we got the GDP numbers for the third quarter, and it was 3.5%. But I believe that when you look beneath the surface, as I explained on the podcast, that there's a lot of fluff in that number. There's a lot of one-time things there. And I do believe that that 3.5% is going to be downwardly revised in the next couple of months. And I think it's already looking pretty bad for the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter, probably at best, is going to come in in the low twos. But there's a good chance it could come in in the ones, sub 2%. And if the Fed is not back with more QE in the first quarter of 2015, that could be a negative GDP quarter. And remember, the first quarter is going to be winter, and so it's probably going to snow. And so there's a good chance they might blame it on the snow, but there's also a very good chance we could be printing another negative GDP number in the first quarter of 2015. 
In fact, if you look at the consumer spending component of the third quarter GDP, it was the lowest it's been in two years, not counting the first quarter of this year when it was the snow. But if you look at the numbers we got today for personal spending for, um, I think it's for um, August or September, the, the, the personal spending number was down by the most, the biggest month-over-month decline in personal spending in five years. Biggest decline in five years. And you contrast that with the news we got earlier in the week from Visa and MasterCard, which reported you know, an increase in credit card use. And everybody initially reacts to that. Oh, this is great because consumers are spending more, right? They're confident. And all these confidence numbers are still high. So consumers are out there spending. They're using their credit cards. But they're not actually spending more. They're spending less. And what that tells me is that the consumer is in distress, right? The consumer is using his credit card because he doesn't have the cash, because he doesn't have the income to afford the things that he's buying. So more of the grocery bills or more of the gas bill, even though, you know, gasoline prices have come down. They're still spending less money. Where's all that extra money they're supposed to have because they saved money at the gas station? So despite lower gas prices, despite rising uh, consumer confidence, uh, you still had the biggest decline in, in five years. And I think this is going to continue, right? Just like the economy went into withdrawal, the markets went into withdrawal when we took away QE1 and 2, the same thing's going to happen. Now, we got a reprieve. And again, I think the Japanese coming in overnight promising to pick up the QE baton, you know, people were worried, hey, where is the liquidity going to come from if it's not coming from the Fed? Well, now it's coming from the Bank of Japan. So that might have provided a temporary boost to the markets, all this expectation, all this enthusiasm over more cheap money. But I still think that the markets ultimately will roll over without the support of the Fed. It's not going to be enough to have the BOJ in there. Uh, they need to have a full-fledged QE program uh, by the Fed. But if we are headed back towards recession, if the Q3 GDP number is downwardly revised, like I expect it to be, the Q4 number comes in low twos or in the ones, and then here we are, uh, negative numbers by Q1, what is the Fed going to do? Is the Fed going to raise interest rates in the middle of 2015 after such a decline in GDP? No, they're not, they're not going to do that. They're most likely going to start up a brand new program. And then it's going to dawn on people because we would have gone through the entire business cycle, right? We would have gone from recession, recovery, back to recession. We would have gone through the entire cycle and interest rates would have remained at zero the entire time. And the only thing that would have changed during the cycle was the amount of, uh, of QE. And in fact, I think the easing cycle is over with the end of QE. I don't think, I mean, the tightening cycle. So I think um, the taper process was the tightening. I think this is as tight as the Fed's going to get, right? Uh, bringing QE to zero. They're not going to raise rates. The next thing the Fed is going to do is ease. And they're going to ease that by bringing back QE. But the problem is they probably would have been better off if they had paused the taper and left a small amount of QE officially on the table. Even though unofficially there's still some QE there because they're reinvesting the interest and they're reinvesting the principal. But I think their Fed is going to look weaker to have to restart the program completely, especially considering how optimistic they were, how bullish they were 
uh, when they announced the end of QE. So I think the markets are going uh, to be able to fall a lot more uh, without the Fed uh, coming in. The Fed is, it would lose too much face or credibility or what they have if they were too quick to come back to the QE, t- Q- QE table. So I think you're going to have to have more uh, negative uh, moves in the market, bigger downward moves in the market, and much more negative economic news coming out before the Fed gives in or relents and comes up with more QE. But mark my words, it has to come. And, and when it does, that is the big game changer. That is the you know, wake up moment. And that's when these markets have to reverse. And I think the reversal is going to be enormous. I mean, mention the gold stocks, you know, how much they're down. I mean, this, this really looks like the capitulation stage to me. I mean, if you look at the rate at which these stocks have dropped over the last couple of days. Now, I don't know that this is the end of that capitulation process, uh, but it certainly looks like we are at that process now. How much lower the stocks can fall during the process is anybody's guess. But when they find a bottom, I expect them to rally off that bottom very quickly. And ultimately, the reversal should be spectacular. Because remember, gold stocks are priced for gold to collapse. Why does everybody think the price of gold is going to collapse? Because they assume that QE worked and it's not going to be repeated and interest rates are going to go up and everything is fine. And therefore, gold prices should go back down to where they were before uh, the crisis, before we had any QE. Uh, but of course, the price, the cost of gold production is much higher now than it was before QE began. So I guess people just assume uh, that these gold stocks will just go out of business because gold mining will no longer be a profitable enterprise. If it costs $1,200 an ounce to mine gold and you know it's only worth $800 or $700, wherever people think it's going to go, then clearly they think these companies are going to go out of business. But when I think gold prices reverse and start to head back up and people realize that they're not going to collapse, right? that we are in QE infinity, that the U.S. economy is uh, back in recession and that we're not the only central bank not doing QE, we're going to be the central bank doing the most QE. And normally you would think, you know, the Japanese announcing more money printing, everybody thinking the Europeans are about to launch QE, This should be a positive environment for gold, right? If everybody is debasing their currency, trying to create inflation, why is gold not rallying? And the only reason is because everybody thinks the dollar is a better safe haven than gold or stocks. Hey, just buy stocks as a safe haven against inflation because stocks are going up. So that's stealing some of gold's thunder. But it's this misconfidence, misbelief that the U.S. is, you know, this island of safety, that we're the only currency, the only country that's not going to do QE. We're the only central bank that's going to be raising interest rates. Therefore, if you're worried about the yen because of QE, you can buy the dollar. If you're worried about the euro because of European QE, you can buy the dollar. But what people who are worried about QE in Europe and QE in Japan should really be worried about is QE in America. But they're not worried about that right now because they think it's over, because they believe the hype. They believe the hysteria. They're just as clueless, right? They're just as uh, uninformed and naive as they were on the, on the eve of the 2008 financial crisis. They're buying the U.S. dollar right now as confidently as people used to buy subprime mortgages. But their confidence was misplaced. And when they figured out how wrong they were, 
the market imploded. So I think the same thing is going to happen. We just have to be patient and ride it out and, and not get, get suckered in with the hysteria, not buy into this conventional wisdom. I mean, the bullishness uh, is at euphoric levels right now on Wall Street. I think especially since they've ended QE and we've had this couple of day rally to new highs. I mean, because there, maybe there were some people who were frightened about an end of QE because, you know, they remember that the markets did go down a lot when we ended QE 1 and 2. So there might have been some people who were nervous. Now they're not nervous anymore, right? Although there's nothing that says the market can't do a head fake up and then reverse and go down, right? But people are now throwing caution to the wind and they're going all in on stocks and getting out of whatever gold positions they have left. I mean, I thought everybody probably who was going to sell these stocks might have sold them. But now, you know, it looks like there's a lot of force selling here today. Uh, Maybe there's a lot of margin calls looking at the enormity uh, of the last two-day decline in the gold stocks. I mean, the decline in the gold stocks, you know, dwarfs the decline in gold. I mean, gold barely made a new low uh, for for this move. I mean, we were down around 1,200, a little bit below. Now we're like, what, 1,180-ish, you know, maybe $15 below the low from a couple of weeks ago. But the gold stocks have completely demolished uh, the lows from a couple of weeks ago. Many of these stocks have been down 20, 25% in the last couple of days. And this is after already having been down substantially on the year, down again. So really blood in the streets when it comes to uh, the gold stocks, but euphoria uh, when it comes to just about any other stock. In fact, all the other asset classes too, you know, paint, rare paintings, collectible cars, I mean, you name it. The price is going up, with a lone exception of the gold stocks, which again is very ironic because gold and gold mining companies should be the primary beneficiary of the monetary policy we have today. But they're not yet. But when this illusion collapses, this fantasy of a U.S. economic recovery, because right? everybody believes that you know there's no recession anywhere in sight, that we're going to we're, we're years away from a U.S. recession, when in fact, another recession is right around the corner. And in fact, it will be worse than the recession that we had in 2008, 2009, if the Fed does not come in with QE4. And again, that doesn't mean I'm recommending QE4. No, we shouldn't have it. We should allow that terrible recession to happen. Because if we would have allowed the terrible recession in 2008, 9 to continue naturally, there would be no need for this even worse recession now. And if we had allowed the recession of 2001, 2002, that recession, if we had allowed that one to run its natural course instead of cutting it short right under under Alan Greenspan, then we never would have had the need for the worst recession that we didn't get to experience fully in 2008, 2009. So just because I say without the Fed's intervention, we'd have a recession doesn't mean I am advocating that the Fed intervene. The Fed needs to stay out. The Fed needs to allow the market to solve all the problems that years of bad monetary policy created. But they never do that. They've never done that. So why would I expect them to do that? I expect Janet Yellen to react to this coming recession the way Ben Bernanke reacted to the last one, the way Alan Greenspan reacted to the last one, because that's the only playbook we've got. And remember, when this recession starts, they can't start with rate cuts. Rates are at zero. You can't cut from zero. All they can do is revamp QE. And believe me, it's going to have to be a lot bigger than QE3. 
QE4 is going to have to be bigger than QE3 for the same reason that QE3 had to be bigger than QE2. The economy builds up a tolerance. The more addicted to QE, the more QE you need to get any kind of result. And this last result was minimal in the real economy. I mean, yes, the, the Fed was able to get the stock market to go up, but the real economy never experienced any genuine economic growth, right? The average American is worse off today than when QE began, by far. Incomes are down, uh, real employment is down, net worth is down, poverty is up, government dependency is up, the cost of living is up. N nothing has been improved uh, except maybe the level of optimism on Wall Street. People think after all these years that the Fed policy has worked, but they're going to wake up to the reality that it's been an abysmal failure, just like the 2008 financial crisis should have been a wake-up call that Alan Greenspan's policies were a failure. Instead, we just resurrected those policies under Bernanke, and, and now we've created a bigger problem for ourselves. But the same people, the same people that didn't understand what was wrong with the U.S. economy back then still don't understand what's wrong with it. That's why they think the Fed fixed it, because they don't even know what the problem was. So if you don't know what the problem was, how do you know that it's been fixed? In fact, the problem that they don't understand has been made worse by the Fed's policies. And that's why the next crisis will be worse, but it will be different. Because again, remember, when the 2008 crisis began, the dollar had been falling. The dollar was at record lows, all-time record lows, really, the dollar index, uh, in mid-2008. Gold was at a record high. Gold had gotten up to about 1,000, which at that point was a record high. So you had the dollar making record lows and gold making record highs into the last financial crisis. And so the dollar rallied and gold sold off. This crisis is going to hit with the dollar making multi-year highs and gold making multi-year lows. Gold stocks, and many of them probably record lows, but decade or more lows, gold stocks had had a huge run between 2001 and 2008. They had outperformed the stock market by a, a significant margin, right? So the, everything is reversed, so I would expect an opposite reaction because, again, this crisis is not really going to be about a credit crisis, not private credit. It's going to be about debt, uh, sovereign credit. It's going to be about the dollar, a currency crisis, a sovereign crisis, which is going to be very different than the crisis that we had in 2008. It's a crisis of an excess of QE, of an overdose of QE. That's the one that's coming. That's the one that we have to prepare for. That's the one that I have been warning about since the beginning. And maybe it's taken a little longer uh, to play out. A lot of things have happened along the way that may have been ha hard uh, to forecast from day one because you never know, you know how people might react to certain things. And it's always difficult when you, you have to estimate the intelligence of the average investor because believe me, you know, however high you estimate it, you're going to overshoot, right? Because they're going to be less intelligent than you think it's going to take the world longer uh, to come to terms with reality, to accept the truth. But eventually they will. Eventually people will figure it out. They always figure it out. But it seems to me that the bigger the problem, the harder it is and the longer it takes to figure it out. But from my experience, the people who understand and figure it out early and position themselves properly are the ones that end up winners in the end. And those that get taken in uh, by... Uh, the hysteria, by the mania that feel good initially uh, because the market validates what they're doing because so many other fools are doing the same thing. 
I think I think whatever you know paper profits they enjoy in the short run, they end up surrendering them in the long run. That's it for now, and don't forget to check out my podcasts at uh, shiftradio.com. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.